As we continue in our series in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 15 to 23. We've been on the, the ser- sermon series called Sola Fide, or only faith, or literally faith alone. And we've been looking at the various passages throughout the book of Romans as we work our way sequentially through it. And we were left with the verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul after encouraging us to not waste our lives, but invest them in the things that God has called us to do, he says the basis of that is you no longer are under the law, no longer under law, but under grace. And he knows that's going to create questions. And so he starts to answer that question in our passage this morning. And here's what we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and following. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance." You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap from that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning and we ask that you would be our teacher. God, we do know there is confusion about what it means to live under grace and this astounding reality that you have given to us. We're not under law, but under grace, but we need you to help us understand what that means. So, Lord, teach us, direct us, shape us, stretch us as you speak into our lives today, please, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most common issues that people raise to the idea of grace as the foundation to the Christian life. Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? It's a practical question, and Paul is expecting it. And when you think of the audience to whom he's speaking, you understand why he's expecting the question. Paul is speaking to two groups of people in the church at Rome and in the, and the, the empire at large among the churches. One group are people that have come out of paganism, uh, Roman and Greek background. Their view of, of morality and spirituality is vastly different from that of the Old Testament and what will become the New Testament. They have a perspective very steeped in sexual immorality as a lifestyle, as a practice, Men invariably, before, after, days of work, would go to the baths in Rome and just hang out. There's lots of sexuality in many of the experiences. It was a lifestyle that really was not built on a a moral foundation like the Old Testament gave. 
Then you had another group of people he's writing to, and these are Jewish, Jewish background people who have become Christians. And they've been raised under a standard of morality that actually has, in the Old Testament, 613 laws. You may not have known that. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And beyond that, there are thousands of commandments that were built on the top of that as a means of explaining those 613 commandments, what the Gospels call the tradition of the elders, the, the oral law that was passed down where it was taking every one of those commandments and saying, okay, this is what it means when it says don't, you know, don't work on the Sabbath. It means you can't travel more than a mile. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And it prescribed all of life for them. And now all of a sudden, Paul comes and he says, when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what happens. You're no longer under the law. All those 16, 613 commands, the, the traditions of the elders, the thousands of rules, you're not under that anymore. You're not under the Mosaic legislation anymore. And you can imagine the, these Jewish Christians going, ha, ha, because they're thinking, what in the world are you saying, Paul? Are you, are you saying that, that there, there is no normalcy of what a person is supposed to do? And they might question, ask questions like this. Without the rules, there'll be no curbing of sin. What will keep those people living self-controlled, holy lives if there's no fear of reprisal for moral failure? Why do you think God gave these rules in the first place, Paul, but to help people live godly lives? And now you're saying, well, by the way, we're not under that. We're all under grace. And what about these Romans? What about these guys that have no moral background? And now you're saying, by the way, you're not under law. You're just free to, you know, live under grace. It's a beautiful thing. And so they're saying, does righteousness matter? Does holiness matter? Are we free to sin? I mean, actually, maybe that'll even make grace more spectacular if we sin more. So the question is, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And Paul says, no way. That's not what I'm saying, he says. Now, to understand what Paul is going to say here, there's a couple of definitions we have to give. We have to understand what it means under law. We have to understand what it means under grace. First of all, the concept of under law. Under law is actually a position. It means that I am under the position where my acceptance with God is based on my performance. I've talked to you before about righteousness, that, that in order for someone to qualify for heaven, they need the validating performance record of total righteousness. That is the only way anyone goes to heaven. And basically, under the covenant of works given to the original human beings, God basically said, if you live totally righteously completely righteously, you will be accepted into heaven. The problem is, under law, under that system, because of sin, nobody qualifies. But he says, under law is what you've been delivered from in Jesus Christ. However, you can still live when your position is under grace as if you were under law. I would suggest to you, every one of us as believers does this and has done it. We'll do it again. Under law as a lifestyle means that you act as if you are under law in practice. It is living a rules-oriented, getting it right life. It is basically a self-righteous life, and it is exactly what Paul is going to depict in Romans chapter 7. He is going to say in Romans 7, here's what the Christian life looks like when you are trying to live it as if you're under law. 
You're still trying to measure yourself. You're still trying to, to feel good about yourself by getting things right, by, by following the rules. By, by, uh, maybe they're, they're unprescribed rules, but you have them for yourself. You've built them and they come from your background, your Christian background. And he says, but there's another way to live. It's the lifestyle that lives out the position of under grace. And under grace is also a position where my acceptance with God is based on Jesus validating performance record. Jesus Christ not only died the death that we should have died, Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived. And he lived fully righteous. And when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we not only have our sins forgiven because of his death, but we have his life righteousness applied to our account as if it's our report card that we have now been fully accepted in Christ. That's our position under grace. To live out the position under grace is living a relationship-oriented, responding to the Spirit's leading life, a Spirit-controlled life. It's exactly what he's going to describe in Romans chapter 8. And he's going to say, you can be under grace positionally, but you can live as if you're under law, Romans 7. Or you can live under grace as if you live under grace in Romans 8. I hope that would stay with me. It really does make sense. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, all right, here's under grace. What does it mean? Does it mean that now we say sin doesn't matter? Paul says, no way. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. We are accepted by God. We have Jesus' validating record. But that does not mean we did not lead to live righteous lives. We still need to spend time meditating on God's word, praying, seeking to walk with God. And he responds then to this question, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace by saying, no way. Now, there are two groups of people that Paul is concerned about in this passage, I believe. First of those, and again, there's a lot of introductory stuff I'm doing to this passage on purpose. The first group of people are those that we might call the legalist. They are Christians who want to stay under law as a way of life. I've mentioned to you we all do this to some degree. Some Christians do it a good part of their whole Christian journey. This group might look at this idea of under grace as a dangerous concept. That basically it seems to give permission to sin. Those individuals want to have rules, directives, lists they can check off, ways to measure and feel good about themselves. Emphasizing under grace can seem dangerous, even flippant. And again, I would suggest many of us have vestiges of this even after coming to Jesus. But there's a second group I think he's also concerned in clarifying all this too, and that's the individual that love the idea of grace but they hear too much in grace. They, they abuse the concept of grace. They are those that are not taking their Christian faith seriously. The idea of God expecting me to live obediently and yield to him as Lord of my life with my money, with my entertainment, with my morality, with my private life, with my relationships. I mean, I mean it seems unrealistic. I mean, it's just for, for fanatics. And Jesus, but what Paul is saying is, no, if you have been brought under grace, 
It's normal to live with Christ as Lord. It's normal to, to have him Lord of your life. It's normal to bring him in. And he's addressing those that think that living under grace means I can live like it's a free pass, like I'm a free agent. The other group that I, I had in college, a roommate, I had in college came to Christ as my Savior. And when, when God got a hold of my life, I, I was, by God's grace, I was all in. And I had a roommate that was living an immoral lifestyle, sexually immoral lifestyle, and, and he professed to be a Christian, and I talked to him, and I, I said, Dale, how can, you, how can you make the choices you're making, and yet you believe you're a Christian? And he said, and he literally said this, he said, Mark, a couple years ago, I went to a meeting, at a church meeting, and they gave an invitation and say, anybody wants to come and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, come forward. He said, I did. I went forward, and he literally said this statement. He said, Mark, I have my bus ticket. And I, those are the kind of people that would drive a legalist out of their mind saying, Paul, this is just what I'm talking about. This, is, this guy, this idea of under grace means license. Well, that's, Paul says, that's not, that's not what I'm advocating. That individual has every reason to have concern that they are actually under grace if they have no heart and hunger for righteousness. But there's a second group I think Paul is talking to here under this idea of, of maybe misunderstanding grace and misrepresenting it. And that is where many of us are. Many of you here in the room, online, have come through Christian experience to come to see the beauty of grace. Maybe you've had a background that was more um, performance-oriented, even in Christian faith, and you've come to realize it's not about me, it's about Christ. It's not about my life and getting it right. It's about Jesus living his life through me. And you've come to see the beauty and the glory and the wonder and the splendor, the majestic marvel of grace. But maybe it's caused you to look back on, on the idea then of, of, of living the Christian life that anything that's done that seems to be an, an act of the will or, or per, could be called some kind of, of activity or performance is, is, is wrong. And so you, you struggle with the idea of obeying Christ or serving Christ or, or practicing spiritual disciplines. And I would suggest to you that Paul would say, you've gone too far. Under grace doesn't mean that we don't live under lordship. It doesn't mean that we don't practice things that help us to imbibe that spiritual life. And I think what he's trying to clarify here is under grace means that you live with moment by moment, day by day, surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, all of that was introduction, so I'm going to be really fast with my four points. These are the four reasons, he says, that we need to choose to daily surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord if we're under grace. Number one, we choose to daily surrender to Jesus Christ because you, we embraced him as Savior with surrender. Romans 16, or 6 verse 16 says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. He says when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, you embraced him as Lord. 
You embraced him as master. I mean, it wasn't like you said, okay, I've received Jesus Christ as Savior. Now I'm no longer under, under the law. I'm now under the law of me. I'm, I'm now in charge. No, that's not what he says. He says, when you embraced Christ, you recognized that you were receiving the gift of salvation, but there was also some saying yes to Christ now as Lord of your life. He says in verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching. The phrase wholeheartedly literally is the words from the heart. From the heart you obeyed when you received the gospel. It's possible to obey outwardly, but not to obey from your heart. This young lady is a picture of a story I once heard uh, of, of an individual whose father had said to her, sit down. And he actually had to repeat it three times. And by the third time, he said, sit down. She slunched down into the chair, and she sat there with her arms crossed and muttered loud enough for him to hear, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That's not obeying, and that's certainly not obeying from the heart. What Paul is saying is when you embraced Christ as Savior, you embraced him with your whole heart. You said, I'm in. I, I'm, I, yes, I'm receiving the gift of eternal life. I'm receiving life that makes me acceptable to God ever. But I'm also saying I'm receiving you not just as buddy, not that now I'm the boss. I'm saying, Jesus Christ, you are now Lord. You are master of my life. And Paul says, why should you live with Christ as Lord? Because he says, that's how you got into this thing. That's how it started. The second reason he gives in verse 17 is because you were placed under Jesus' teaching. Again, that phrase, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. The word entrusted is actually to give over into one's power. Now, it's interesting what it doesn't say. It, does, it says you've been, you've been given a, a new pattern of teaching a new form of teaching. It's not the Old Testament law. It's not those 613 commands and the thousands of traditions of the elders that sort of describe all those. He says, no, you have, you have a new standard of how to live your lives. But he, says, he doesn't say, and it was given to you. That's not what he says. He says, you were given to it. You were placed under it. When you embraced Christ as your Savior, you were embraced by that as the authority in your life. What is he talking about? He's talking about the teaching and the principles of life of Jesus Christ. He is saying, yes, you have been delivered from living under the Mosaic Code, but you have been entrusted into another form of teaching. What is that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, In verse 20, I'm not under the law anymore. But a few phrases later, he says, but I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. He says, I am now now entrusted under the authority of Christ's teaching and Christ's principles and Christ's laws. it It is the standards of Christ's righteousness. In other words, what happened, he says, when you received Christ and were were under grace as the means of acceptance with God... The lifestyle is not that you're free from the Mosaic law and now you're under the law of you. You're under the law of Christ. 
And he says, why should you live with Christ as the Lord of your life and surrender him every day? He says, that's what you're called to. That's what being under grace means. The third thing he says, and now he starts to get really practical. Because your choices determine your character. Now, he introduces this by an interesting disclaimer in verse 19. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And he's talking about slavery. And I think what Paul's saying is, look, I know, I know this can sound weird to compare the Christian life with slavery. And, and, and I know this is going to raise some hackles. But he says, I've got to do this because you've got to get this. You've got to understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when you are liberated from the, from the slavery of sin in your life, dominating your life, and you are brought under grace, this new relationship with God, you are brought under another master. This master is Christ. And he says there are no other options. There's not, well, I'll be mastered by sin and self, and, or I'll be mastered by Christ, or I'll be mastered by me. He says, it'll be one or the other. And he says, being mastered by sin began at physical birth. Having the option of being mastered by Christ begins at the new birth. And the mastery has one element which they are very in common. And that which they are similar is in regard to their development. That's what verse 19 is saying. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Here's what he's saying. The development of slavery to sin and slavery to Christ is similar in this regard. Both kinds of slavery proceed and advance. Both kinds bring you more and more under their sway. When you lean into sin, he says, as your master, you're going to find it wasn't just an, a decision that is unrelated to the rest of your life. It's drawing you more and more under that sin. So when you yield to Christ, when you lean into Christ as master, it develops. It's, on the one hand, it's ever-increasing wickedness. The other, it's righteousness leading and growing to overall holiness. So what is he saying here? Well, C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. He has an interesting description of how the slavery to sin develops in our lives and how it plays out even beyond the horizon of this life. Here's what he says. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to only live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute hell in a million years in fact, if Christianity is true, hell is the precisely correct technical term for what it would be. Lewis is arguing, the Apostle Paul is arguing, that you don't do things in isolation when you choose which master you're going to live under the, the authority of. 
He says when you, when you have a thought, it leads to an act. When you have an act, it leads to a, a practice. It, it eventually leads to character. That's why this statement, now I can't figure, I've looked, there's three different people claim to have this statement uh, on the internet, and Ralph Waldo Emerson seems to get the most votes, so I'm going with Ralph. And so a thought, you reap an action. So an act, and you reap a habit. So a habit, and you reap a character. So a character, and you reap a destiny. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, when you lean into the, to sin as your master, in thought, it leads to a, a lustful thought. It often will lead to action. It will also often lead to habit. It will often lead to character. And he says, it can ultimately lead to destiny. And he's saying, so when you lean into Christ... And you allow him to be the Lord of your life. He too begins to change you. Now some of you are here and you have deeply made wrong choices along the way. There's some real screw ups that have gone on. You say, I don't know how to get out of this. Here's the beauty of this. Jesus Christ does not ask you to go from A to Z. He simply says go to A to B. And say, Lord, here I am. I've reaped a lot. Yes, I've sown my thoughts. I've, I've turned it into action. I've got habits in my life that are utterly destruction. My whole character seems dominated by it. I can't get out of this. And he says, here's where you start. You start saying yes to Christ as master. Take this little baby step. And he says, what you're going to find is all I'm asking is that the trajectory of your life be going the right way. You will find, I will change. Just as you got caught in sin as your master and it led from one thing to another thing to another, he said, so the, 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 the direction and the cycle can be utterly reversed as you lean into Christ as master. Whichever master you lean into is determining the direction of your life because it is progressive. It advances you more and more into that slavery. The fourth reason he gives why we should be yielding our life to Christ daily is this, because you've seen the benefits of doing so. Verse 20 to 23, he says, slavery to sin and slavery to Christ are similar in their development. Both proceed and advance, but the fruit of them is dramatically different. In verse 20 and 21, he describes the fruit of of the old life, the life under the influence of sin without Christ as Lord. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. He says, what did you get out of it? He says, where it leads is to death. And I translate death here meaning brokenness of life. Death is li the life that is separated from God, not life as it ought to be. It can ultimately lead, as verse 23 says, to the eternal destiny of that. But it's talking about brokenness of life, life not as it ought to be. He says this is what sin produces. This is what does as, as a master, as a despotic Lord in your life. It leads to broken life. He continually argues this in New Testament passages. Paul does. He says it in Galatians 5 very clearly. He says, you lean into sin and the flesh, it's going to lead to this. And he lists a number of different things. He says it's going to lead to selfishness, lust, bitterness, pride, greed, worry, drivenness, fear, and a host of others. 
the specific enslaving sins depend on what particular bottom line you choose to align yourself and offer yourself to. If you're enslaved to the idolatry of approval, you'll constantly struggle with self-pity and envy and hurt feelings and inadequacy. If you're enslaved to the idolatry of success, you'll experience drivenness, fatigue, worry, anger, fear, and so on. Anything you worship, anything that you make master of your life other than Christ will deliver worse than promised. It is slavery, a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp or keep hold of something which can never really deliver. The fruit of sin's mastery is destructive, personally, relationally. But often, we don't see it that way. Often people think, well, I'm going to throw off the, 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 the bondage of religion or faith in Christ, and I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be myself. But there's no middle ground. When we throw off the mastery of Jesus, we are throwing ourselves under the mastery of sin again. And we think it's freedom, but it's not as promised. It reminded me of the story as I was thinking about this of the uh, aristocratic family and, and this, the parents of an adult son were visiting an, a, an aged aunt in her nice place, big place. And they're in this big giant drawing room and all of a sudden the, the son, grown son, bounds into the room and he's all agitated. He's, he's, he's been rebellious but now he's had it and he comes into the room, he stalks into the room and there's the aged aunt and, and the mother and father, his mom and dad and he says to them, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to be my own man, I'm going to make my own way, I'm going to be free of the influence of authorities in my life including you and, and, he, and at that moment he turns and he walks over to the door, he throws open the door, he stalks through the door, storms in and slams the door behind him. His mother's there in the silence, the pregnant silence that's left, and she sadly says, well, I guess he's off to his new freedom, to which his aged aunt responded, not really. He just charged into the closet. <laughs> we're determined to go our own way. We're determined to live how we think we're going to live. We don't want the constraints of God. We'll do it. But, and we think we're running to freedom. It's a closet. Now, some of us, and I am exhibit A, some of us have to go through one closet after another to find out it's not what I thought. That where I'm going and living out the selfishness of my own life is ultimately always going to lead me to, to just another empty, disappointing closet. But what Christ is saying through Paul is you don't have to live under the mastery of those things. And he says, when you did, I mean, look back on it. When you did live that way, were you happier? Were you more content? Were you, were you more at peace? And he says, you know you weren't. Where you find contentment, we're hardwired to live with Christ as the master of our lives. He created us to live with him as the center of our lives and so his fourth argument of why you live under the lordship of Christ every day because of the impact it has on your life. He says in verse 22 and 23, the impact is the benefit is holiness and the result is ultimately life that's eternal. For Paul, it's a present and future focus again. He says people who offer themselves to obedience to Christ grow in the fruit of the Spirit 
Galatians 5 describes that, that side of the ledger as love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and self-control and kindness. That is the experience of living under the liberty of grace, but living it out yielded to the lordship of Christ. Shall we continue in sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul says, not on your life. Why, when you have the freedom to live holistically, would you choose to live under the wrong master? A master of tyranny and despotism when you can live under the mastery of Christ. But this life, living in the power of Christ, not only has personal benefits for our lives, which it certainly does in what he's saying, it also benefits whole communities as well. And this morning, to conclude our service, I'd like to introduce you to a friend. Peter Gamula is uh, a guy I've gotten to know over the last few weeks. Peter, come on up. And Peter is uh, from Malawi. Peter grew up as a tobacco farmer's son, $500 a year income, I think, and um, God saved Peter. Peter eventually, I, I'm not going to tell you this whole story. He's going to tell you some of it, but I, I, I want to tell you because I'm excited. But I'm going to give him a chance to tell a little of his story, and then I'm going to show you a short video, and I'll tell you now at the end of our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to contribute to the ministry, the unique ministry God has given it. Good morning, everyone. I'm from Malawi. Malawi is one of the smallest country in Africa, and it's one of the poorest country in the world. Uh, an average income for most of the families is around $500. Most of the people, they make a dollar a day. So I grew up in that kind of environment, which life was very difficult. Uh, but as I was growing up, I had an opportunity uh, myself to go to college. But the biggest challenge was I was born in a family of eight kids. And with the income of $500 in our tobacco farming, it wasn't easier. So when my, the time came for me to go to college, all my brothers and sisters, they said no. Because the college that time, it was $600. Uh, and that was our annual income. And everybody says, if you take the money, there's no way we're going to survive. But because of the influence of my mom, my mom said, no, uh, let him go. Uh, so my mom tried to convince everybody else. And I got this opportunity to go to college. But the biggest question was now, what are you going to pay for the next semester and for the other seven semesters that are coming forward? So... I didn't think about it, but my brother thought about it, and they told me one word, never come back to ask for more. I thought they were joking, but it wasn't a joke. I went to the college, I paid the money, and the, the reality of that question now started bothering me. I tried to look for different opportunities in the campus. There wasn't any scholarship. The only thing I found was to work as a security guard, and I was supposed to work uh, from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. And for me to make more money, I had to work seven days a week, 
which means I didn't had enough time to sleep. I could sleep after classes, which was, wasn't enough. But through that, I went to uh, my education, and after I graduated, I had an opportunity to come here in the States with Urban Promise. It's when I saw all these different opportunities. And when I reflect back in my home country, where in schools, the ratio for teacher to students is one to 100, and we don't have enough resources. That propelled me to make a difference. And by God's grace, God gave me an opportunity to start a school, which I'm helping 350 students every year to get quality education. And at the same time, they are able to be transformed through the word of God because I started a Christian school, which I'm helping all these students. So I come across over here in the States to give this great opportunity to different people like you because I realize that people help people. Uh, in their life. So I'm here just to ask you to encourage you to join me in this walk of life to touch somebody else across the globe. You guys, you are really blessed. Thank you so much, Mark. Nested in the armpits of the Kanengo industrial area in Lilongwe is a village called Chatata, a home to hard-working people who till the land, do odd jobs, seeking a better life for themselves and their children. It's hard to make it in life in these parts. Life doesn't offer many options for the people here, save for one thing, education. Serving the community with its education needs is Mercy High School. If it wasn't for this school, there would be only one secondary school in Kanengo, serving over 30 villages. Mercy High School is under Mercy Care Malawi, which is an affiliate of Urban Promise Ministries, which started in 1988. Under Mercy Care, young children are enrolled in a vibrant after-school program which improves the academic performance of children in their subject areas of study. They receive guidance and extracurricular activities through tutoring, feeding program, counseling, and recreation. Armed with a vision to build a private secondary school in the community of Chatata, Mercy Care is determined to provide quality education for the students in the villages of Kanengo industry. The seed that was planted in 2008 when Mercy Care's ministry began to offer various academic programs has now grown and blossomed. This campus is a complete school that offers high school education to over 300 students every year, a girls empowerment program as well as an after school program. Over 90% of students who enroll at Mercy High School graduate from the high school. These youths are given more than academic knowledge. With the majority of them aged between 13 and 20, they are offered leadership classes, group events, and fun times to hang out and build relationships. Happy faces, proud parents. The Mercy Care Malawi is a ministry that is impacting the lives of people in the community around Kanengo industrial area positively. It's a rough road that must be walked, hard work that must be done. But 
if we all do our part to contribute to the growth of Mercy Cares, even more needy Malawian communities would benefit. Peter was the first member of his village to ever go to college. And when he finished his sleep-deprived four years at college, Urban Promise heard about him and invited him to come over. And Bruce Mayne, the director of Urban Promise, envisioned for Peter the idea of going back to Malawi, starting a school, and using that as a way to not only introduce the gospel to people's lives and kids' lives, but also to enable them to really be able to transform their culture through education. Uh, when you saw those pictures of all those buildings, I mean, this is a staggering thing that God has done. And they, 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 the money that is involved is just, they don't have money. People don't have money that are coming. And every teacher in the school is a born-again Christian. Every board member is a born-again Christian. And when I learned, when I heard Peter's story and had a chance to spend time with him through the Laundress family in our church, I just thought, I, I really want to share this ministry with you today. And so we're going to take an offering. If God prompts you, if you want to give towards the ministry of Mercy Care Schools, this money will all go to that ministry. There's a card that you can get out on the hub that has a website that also uh, will lead you to different ways you can be involved. You can adopt uh, one of the students because um, there is some cost in the education and most of the students need to be sponsored. Um, so we're going we're gonna to take the offering, and I did want to mention this. If you have a check and you want to write it out, you can write it out to FCC and just put on the memo line, Mercy Care. Everything from this offering will go directly to Peter and his ministry. Let's pray together. And guys, you can, you can come. We're just going to have you stay, listen to the song till it's done as we take the offering, and then we're going to dismiss this morning. Lord, we talked this morning about what it means to live under grace, that we are called to still live with you as our Lord. But Lord, we're also stunned with what that life looks like in our lives individually, that we can have a different way of living because Christ is Lord of our lives. And Lord, thank you that you can work through humble, broken people to impact others as we go forward, trusting in you to be the source of life and ministry. I thank you for the way you're doing that with Peter. I thank you for Mercy Care Schools. And Lord, I pray this morning that we can be an encouragement to Peter and his schools. In Jesus' name, amen.